This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery, so the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Real EFL League One podcast, the podcast where we take a look at all the wonderful action that England's third tier has to offer each weekend. And what a weekend it was. There were some huge results for teams up the top and bottom of the table, some high-scoring games, massive refereeing decisions, and even a few fans left pondering the future of their head coach. So grab a coffee, or not, depending on what time of the day it is, and tune in as we dissect each and every game for your lovely ears. I'm your host, Adam Scully, and I hope you all enjoy the following episode. If you do, please leave us a five-star rating on the podcast platform of your choice. We really want to grow to become the number one podcast for League One and League Two, so it would be much appreciated if you could drop us a nice little five-star score to help us grow. Now, without further ado, let's get into the action, and of course I won't be on my own to delve through all the weekend's events. I'm joined today by Keelan Sarson, a man who will be left delighted with results this weekend. Keelan, how are things? Yeah, no, very well after yesterday's performance at Blackpool. It was, it was fantastic. Brilliant. I'm also joined today by a man making his debut on the League One podcast. You may know him from the Real EFL League Two podcast. It's Charlie Beeson. Charlie, how are we? Hey, yeah, I'm really good. Thanks. How are you? I'm okay. It's lashing rain here and I love it because this just makes me so comfortable. I feel like home because Ireland is the most miserable country in the world and it makes me a little bit less miserable. Anyway, we will start off with... Probably, I mean, the, the, the result wasn't exactly the biggest of the weekend, but certainly the news was Bristol Rovers 2, Northampton Town 1. Andy Mangan's first game as caretaker manager gets off to a winning start, and they were pretty decent, Bristol Rovers. But we will get on to the actual you know, happenings of the game in a moment, but I think it's important that we talk about the, the massive news that happened in midweek, and that was Joey Barton's departure. It was... Quite surprising, I want to say, but also not so surprising. A little bit like Mark Kennedy at Lincoln City, where you go, okay, a little bit, a little bit surprising, but kind of okay. I get, I get why things were. I feel like things were boiling over a while. Kill. I'll throw to you on this because I think it was in the game against Peter United where the Luke Thomas incident happened, if I'm not mistaken, and it was yeah. quite bizarre because his post-match interview, he he labels Luke Thomas as an idiotic young boy. And I remember thinking, 
there's because I actually I think it was the same that same week. It was just a couple of days prior. Was it when Darren Ferguson had his own kind of uh, little mini meltdown after the, the the EFL Cup exit? What did you make of Joey Barton second? And do you think this has kind of been brewing for a while, considering the the comments he made about Thomas? I mean, I, I can't imagine that that would have any any positive effect on a player or the dressing room. Yeah, no, I think. Um... I think when when you're a manager like Joey Barton and you make you know controversial comments or or comments that aren't really necessary, you can excuse them when it's you know backed up by a good display or it's backed up by a performance that you can go oh, you know they're in the game but they ultimately lost it. And I think the four-one defeat away at Burton must have been the last straw for Barton. I know they're they're, they're very um, ambitious owners down at Bristol Rovers. Obviously, they tried to go after Johnson Clark Harris who would have been a great coup for them. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of ambition, you know, in Bristol Robus quarters. And I think Joe Barton is, is done a good job. They got them back into league one after they, they dropped down to league two and they were doing relatively well. And I, I just think it, it went, it got a bit sour. You read a lot of Bristol Robus fans on social media and they do feel very, they were very divided about Barton mm-hmm. as a manager. He's not the most endearing or popular figure really and he and he's unafraid to say what he feels and I think yeah the performances have been poor recently they probably weren't where they thought they should be and it just felt like it, it felt at like the right time to get rid of him and you imagine that they'll 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 get a decent manager in because it's an it's an attractive football club they've got some really good players for, for the level and yeah it just felt like the right time for Barton to to move mm-hmm. on from Mr Rovers but you imagine Barton as well will will get another job quite you know, swiftly on because he's a good manager. He is a good manager. He is, as you said, though, incredibly divisive. And maybe when things don't go uh, like his way or, or results start dropping, I feel like almost the characteristics of Joey Barton are put under the, the microscope more than most coaches. As I said about the Luke Thomas incident, I was absolutely blown away. I remember writing the piece for the Real EFL and I heard on social media that his comments were crazy. And I read the comments and it was just, it was more bizarre than I could have ever possibly imagined to call your player an idiotic young boy after he, did he pull his ham? I think he pulled his hamstring and that's yeah. that's why the, the comments were made in the build up to the goal because he, he said he didn't, he either didn't tell them a half time or he should have came off a half time and he refused, etc. But Charlie, th- there's been a number of, of candidates kind of linked with the job. Dean Holden has been one formerly of Charlton Athletic in Bristol City, which is, contentious, but also um, Steve Cotterill, again, formerly of mm. Bristol City. Who do you think would be the right man for the job? Or do you think either of them candidates are kind of, not good enough, I suppose, but, but would, would, would suit the team at the moment? I think they would suit the club, both of them. Whether they suit the team that they've currently got is, is a bit of a, a questionable decision. Um, I think I, I sort of joked yeah, yesterday when I was sat on the coach on the way back from Exeter, I was sort of joking that, oh, well, that just Steve Evans will go up to Millwall and Bristol Rovers will get Gary Rowett or something daft like that. It just seems to me like they're going to they're gonna get a name who's got great experience in the AFL because I feel like that's something that Bristol Rovers are going to want. I think Cottrell, with his sort of Bristol City links, is I don't quite know whether he'll want to go to the other side of the city and go to Bristol Rovers. That's a bit of a... Again, it's a bit of a contentious one. And we'll also probably divide fans you know, on, on both sides of the city in that scenario, if that were to happen. Um, and I feel like 
Bristol Rovers as a club are going to want to potentially move away from such a controversial figure as, as you know, Jerry Barton was. Mm. I think Keelan, you you made the understatement of the century saying he he says what he thinks. Um, that's a, that's certainly the nicest way to put it. You know, it, I have a feeling they're going to want somebody that can come in, steady the ship, steady the club, move them away from these sort of controversial topics and discussions. Um, and, and somebody that can obviously improve them on the pitch, but also off the pitch. So I don't see them actually going for somebody like Steve Cottrell because of the contentious divide that he could also create. And I feel they're going to want somebody that can help unite a fan base, whoever that may be. Does it matter a lot to fans, Keelan, when a manager of rivals takes over a club? Because I remember the uproar when, I know we're on an EFL podcast, but I remember the uproar when he took the Everton job. I remember... Mark Hughes taking the Man City job. Obviously, he wasn't Man United manager, but he played for Man United during two stints. And there was kind of uproar from both sides because City fans didn't want the Man United legend taking over and United fans were angry because he went to Man City. And does it really matter ultimately? Because, I I mean, I don't think they're going there purposely. I did. I don't think Rafa Benitez went to Everton to relegate them to purposely do a bad job. I think it was a big club and he wanted to take over. Like, does it really matter that much or is it just kind of tribalism again still in football yeah no I think you know with, with Rafa Benitez it, it did feel like a, a doomed appointment from the start in, in that example and I do think when a manager goes in from a rival and they start poorly it's it, there's instant ammunition <clears throat> from that fan base to fire back at them I think it's more of a case you know if Bristol Rovers were to appoint Steve Cottrell or, or Dean Holden as you mentioned, and they get that, you know, those initial good results. I think their prior connection to their rivals isn't forgotten about, but it's something that, you know, they're not really that bothered by. I think only really becomes a major issue when that manager goes in and doesn't do very well. Because it's well, it's it's gonna be obvious, you know, oh, you're not you're not doing very well because you've got connection to that football club, you know. And I think randomly when when Peterborough were obviously going after their next manager after Grant McCann. I think for a, for a split second, Mark Bonner's name was was being thrown around for the, for the posh vacancy. And I think there was a lot of, no, no, that can't happen. And I think, yeah, I, I agree with Charlie. I think the next appointment for Bristol Rovers has to be one that unites the fan base. And, you know, Joey Barton was playing quite attractive football for Bristol Rovers. You know, Steve Cottrell might not bring that. And I think they... <laughs> They'll look towards someone who wants to play that attractive style still, but is a figure that can unite the fan base, as Charlie said. Well, Matt, who also co-hosts this League One podcast, he's a Bristol Rovers fan, and he made that same point as you, Keelan, that the, the football of Cottrell comes in won't be won't be suited to the, the players they have. They need someone here now who's going to try and play attractive football somewhat, and Steve Cottrell would not the opposite of that, but he doesn't. I wouldn't class his football as that uh, overwhelmingly attractive. But the game did end two one to Bristol Rovers. Chris Martin scored in the tenth minute, not the Coldplay singer, and then Anthony Evans scored the second of the game, and then uh, Manny Monte scored for Northampton Town to make it two one. By the way, do you reckon? Do you reckon everyone ever who's read out Chris Martin's name on a podcast has made that joke? I, 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 I certainly wasn't original. No, it certainly it wasn't. wasn't a <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't. It's not my proudest moment. I've made better. I'll come back with a better one, guys. Don't worry. Uh, so that was so a finished 2 1 to Bristol Rovers. The stats, though, I mean, Bristol Rovers had 42% of the ball, but Andy Mangan after the game was apparently delighted with his 
side's performance in the game. I thought Northampton Town, especially was it the the miss from Simpson early and earlier in the match. It was it looked harder to to, to miss. And I, I probably bobbled a bit, but it was crazy. I couldn't believe he didn't score. And I think that was to make it one 0 to Northampton Town as well. At the end of it, though, the XG was one point eight six for Bristol Rovers to one point two for Northampton Town. So it could have been. I mean, the game could have finished as a draw, but ultimately Northampton Town couldn't find that equaliser that they craved. And next up for Bristol Rovers, I believe, is Whitby Town in the FA Cup. And the next league game is then Reading away. And for Northampton Town, they play Derby County at Pride Park in midweek. Northampton Town are a good side, but they're a tricky side because they're a difficult side to play against. And most teams do struggle, but that was another disappointing result for them all. I don't want to put it down to new manager bounce because I think sometimes it's a lot of nonsense, but it was a good result either way for Bristol Rovers to kind of get back on track after the news during the week because we don't know what the relationship was like with the players behind the scenes. It might have been great and some players were good, so it was nice for Bristol Rovers to pick up a victory, but we will move on now to probably the most exciting game of the weekend. Reading to Portsmouth 3. Portsmouth, after 15 games, remain unbeaten, which is unbelievable. 10 wins, Five draws, they're on to 35 points. But they found themselves 2-0 down at one stage before the half-hour mark, which was quite surprising. The game was interrupted, I believe, a couple of times by the fan protests. And there was a lot of out-of-time added on, especially in the fourth half, which actually went against Reading in the end. But just before I come to you, Keelan, I want to ask you, or I want to read out a statement actually from Johnny Hunt, who's usually on the League One podcast. He's a big Reading fan and he was at the protest yesterday. Firstly, I want to say to Johnny, who's listening, uh, he lost his mom recently, his mother. And so commiserations to him. We send our condolences. It's a really tragic, tragic news. And we look forward to having him on the podcast again. But he sent me a statement yesterday about the protest, which he said, football has an ownership problem. Things may be difficult on the pitch after another loss yesterday after being 2-0 up versus Portsmouth, but that's football. Off the pitch, Fans of all ages and even local politicians join together to protest against our clueless owners. We walk from Reading Town Centre to the ground, around 1,500 people, including Royal legend, Royals legend Dave Kitson, of course, formerly, formerly played for Reading in the Premier League. To see everyone united together as someone who, who was born in Reading was unreal. A lady in her 70s joined us for the last kilometre. That's what football and our community to us as fans is about. We cannot let the club die. We won't die young before it's too late. It could be another club next, so we have to stop the rot now. That was from Johnny Hunt. Really powerful uh, statement he sent me there. He was at the protest yesterday. And again, the football almost in secondary at the moment to what's happening at Reading. And we covered this so many times, so I won't go back over the facts again. But, you know, the, the sell before we die movement is really powerful at the moment. The protest yesterday was excellent. But, Keelan, I'll throw to you on the actual game itself. Reading 2-0 up at one stage, but then Portsmouth just, they looked excellent. 2-0 down, they looked absolutely brilliant after that. What did you make it a game and of, of, of Portsmouth's performance? Yeah, no, I think uh, Pompey are proving, you know, that they're the comeback kings once more. It's countless times now it it feels this season under John Messino that, they, you know, they get they get sucker punched by, you know, two really good goals from, from Reading. Lewis Wing, who is quite experienced at this level, you know, and played it for Middlesbrough as well fires it past Will Norris in the in the ports of goal stationary for it and then Charlie Savage too um 
you know, a lovely first time hit. And, you know, they're always are, are in dreamland, regardless of whatever's going, you know, on or off the pitch. They're 2-0 up against a team that were beforehand, you know, coasting the division and unbeaten. But then I think when, when things are against you, they're against you. And, you know, the opposite way as well with Portsmouth, when, when you've got luck on your side, it, it's firmly with you. And it's, I think, as you said, it was an outstanding turnaround and a mark of a team that just don't know when they're beaten. And I think this, this you know, obviously, Colby Bishop gets gets the equalising goal at 2-2. At but, you know, special moment for um, young Devlin up, up top for Portsmouth. It was his first start for the club. And, you know, yeah. his first goal was to, to, to turn it around from 2-0 down to 3-2. And I think at the moment, it's a case of Reading. They just, you know, they keep getting, getting punched to the ground. And it's how many times can you get back up and... And really compete, and it was it was unfortunate because Reading had such a great start to the game, but every single time this season, Portsmouth just just find a way to get back into it. And you know, it's ten wins and, and five draws now at the top of League One, and that they're, they're getting quite a sizable points gap above Oxford, who who lost. So it's you know it's been outstanding from a Portsmouth mm-hmm. point of view. Another win, and yeah, it doesn't seem like it's ever going to stop for Messino's men at the moment. And I mean the. I don't want to keep throwing out this cliche because I feel like I'm saying every week it's five straight defeats now for Reading. They are rock bottom of the league after Cheltenham Town won yesterday away at Port Vale. But some of the defending was... I understand they're an, ex, an inexperienced side and there's a couple of really young players in that side, but some of the defending was woefully... Like the goal from Colby Bishop. He stands in the six-yard box unmarked for seconds. And not one of the Redden defenders check their shoulder and, and see him standing there and the ball comes across and he's there to tap a home and they're looking around at one another going, how do you, well, just check your shoulder, scan, look, be aware of your surroundings, have the right body position. Really, really poor. Just really, I, I know, again, I, don't, I know it's a cliche and I'm saying they're inexperienced and they're young, but it really shows in the pitch. And like, I really worry about them because five straight defeats now and... It's not looking good. I know they had a points deduction at the start of the season, but they're they're rock bottom now. And Cheltenham Town, who went was it eleven games without scoring a goal, <laughs> are above them. I mean, it's it's really really not looking good. They also lost on Tuesday to Town. And Lee Johnson after the game said they're really well coached, but that first half was pretty abysmal. The next game for them though is against MK Dons in the FA Cup, and for Portsmouth it's Chesterfield away. In the FA Cup, Chesterfield, uh, I believe, won yesterday. And Will Griggs scored, which I didn't know Will Griggs was at Chesterfield. That was um, quite an interesting throwback. I also saw that for, I think it was St. Johnston. Uh, Mikhail Mandarin, who used to play for a number of clubs in, in the Championship League, when it was Sunderland as well in the Premier League, he scored two. That was a nice throwback, too. Uh, anyway, we'll move on now to Blackpool 2, Peterborough United 4. Keel, I'll show it to you in a moment, but I'm going to come to Charlie Forrest. Charlie, what did you make of this game? Blackpool have been. I think they were on a six-game unbeaten run in all competitions, and it ended yesterday. the 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 red card maybe was the the turning point. I want to say was I think it was that one nil the red card, and but then it was I think it was three nil, and then Blackpool came back three two, and then the kind of the game was ended after a, a nice break at the end. Did you make it that match? Yeah, absolutely. I um, on this podcast. Oh, it was in fact it was after we played Peterborough. So it was the start of October. Um, I made a comment along the lines of Peterborough aren't anywhere near their best yet and they're only going to get better. And the recent form has proved that. And yesterday proved that just as much. I mean, first of all, like you said, they went, they went one nil up. 
Poku's touch to then be able to fire that goal in was absolutely sublime. So, uh, yeah, incredible. Uh, they then got a Peterborough then got a penalty, uh, which they unfortunately didn't took away. Uh, Grimshaw managed to save that, and then, like you say, the red card came in. Now, the red card, I, I felt that it was potentially a little bit harsh because I wasn't sure. I, I, thought that potentially the other defender was coming across to cover or even the keeper could have got the ball. So I thought it was a little bit harsh, but at the same time, you can't give the referee a reason to send you off. And that's what he did yesterday. And then Harrison Burrows with, a, again, a brilliant, brilliant free <clears throat> kick. And then, and then yeah, Rick, Ricky J. Jones then with a, a really nice attack and a really nice little goal. And like you say, they're 3-0 up. Blackpool down to 10 men, you sort of think, right, game's over. Yeah, Blackpool didn't think that. Kenny Dougal then got a goal almost immediately after Ricky J. Jones did before Sonny Carey then got one only four minutes later. And you just start to think, hang on a minute, could Blackpool do something pretty special here? No, no, they can't. Uh, Bosch weren't going to be giving up the points yesterday. Uh, they managed to cap off what was honestly a really, really good performance all round. Um, mm. And I know that Keelan's going to be banging on in, in a minute to throw your throat over to him about just how good they were. But as a as an unbiased fan, in fact, probably even slightly more biased against Peterborough most of the time. I've got to be honest, as a Lincoln fan, I uh, I have got to admit that they played absolutely fantastically yesterday, and they deserve to be up in fourth place in the table. Mm -hmm. Keelan, were you nervous at any point in that game? I mean, yeah, when it when we were three 0 up and it was you know three two, and then there were nine minutes of added time, and obviously there was. Nine minutes of added time in the in the infamous Sheffield Wednesday match, so I was just anticipating a a third for Blackpool. Even when you bring that up during the podcast, it was you this time. Yeah, no, and I think it, it sums up it sums up you know the moods of Peterborough fans because we went four two up and it was a great goal, and then you look and there's six more minutes of added time and you're going it can't be four four can it? But it was yeah, no, I think Charlie alluded to it. It was. A fantastic display and a display where on Tuesday night we win one nil at Port Vale in a, in a very gritty and frankly turgid, turgid game. It was it was a, a really bad football game to watch. But, uh, you know, if you don't play very well and you get that one nil win, you know, you clap them off regardless. But I think we showed against Blackpool that we can also, you know, play teams not, not off the park because I think Blackpool... You know, smartly from Neil Critchley, they're 3-0 three three down with 10 men. And instead of just sitting back, he, he brings on, um, I think it's Karamoko uh, Dembele that they've got on loan. And he really gave them a bit more a bit more verve and a bit more pace up top. And we couldn't handle him for, you know, those moments where Blackpool got those, those two goals. But we were just very confident on the ball yesterday, didn't panic. Uh, Jadel Katongo that we've got on loan from Manchester City slotted in at, defensive midfield for the suspended uh, Aaron Collins. And he just, you can tell when a, when a player's of the pedigree of, of, you know, a youngster at Man City, he was so calm on the ball. And he, he was found in, in acres of space for the first goal and then, you know, passes it to Efron Mason-Clark, crosses it. Poku's, you know, unbelievable touch. And I think Poku's been criticised for being wasteful in a posh shirt and he tucks it away with, with such ease. And then, yeah, it was just a really good, a really, really good attacking performance. We didn't relent. Peter Chioso at right back was it was exceptional. And and at the at the final whistle, he, he fell to his knees, presumably with cramp. And he did everyone just looked naked after the final whistle. And you know, Kwame Poku, Efron Mason Clark, 
even Jay Jones that gets flack from the fan base gets a goal. And you know, you, mm. we were, we would think we were we were freeing a lot with Johnson Clark Harris on the bench. So I think that indicates how good we were yesterday. And Blackpool just looked a bit shell shocked for a lot of the game. And Peterborough United are now unbeaten since the second of September when they lost three one to Portsmouth. So an unbelievable run of form. And they are now sitting fourth in the table. Bolton do have a game in hand, or a point behind Bolton. Bolton do have a game in hand. Speaking of Bolton, they won yesterday against Charlton Athletic. A great win for them. Randall Williams actually opened the scoring with an unbelievable strike. It was on his left foot, and then Dion Charles five minutes later again. A bit of a bit of poor defending. I mean, I'm being lenient. There was a bit of poor defending, but it was a great strike and fires at the near post past the goalkeeper. Towards straight away win now for Bolton Wanderers, as I just alluded to a month ago. They are up to third in the table, both on 29. I think, I, I know Portland have a game in hand on Bolton and Oxford United, but Portland are kind of running, I don't want to say running away with it. I mean, there's still a lot of football left to play and they could, I'm sure they will eventually hit a snag, but they're looking good for promotion at the moment. Bolton, yeah, up to third. And Oxford United haven't won in three games now. And Bolton Wanderers have won their last three. So, Bolton Wanderers could find themselves in the automatic promotion places by the next week or two. I mean, they look they look really good. Charlie, do you think Bolton are... are I mean, I think we predicted at the start of the season the real EFL that they would go up alongside Derby County, which maybe we'll get on to at the moment, was, wasn't that wise. But do you think Bolton Wanderers look good for promotion this season? Yeah, I definitely think a lot of people, myself included, were tipping them to be in the top two at the start of the season. It was it was very much Portsmouth, Bolton, and Derby were the three teams that you know people were expecting, not even hoping or anything like that. People were expecting them to be within the top three places, and the fact that Bolton, you know, they they weren't having the perfect start to the season that maybe they'd have wanted, but they're really starting to pick up some points now. Like you say, three wins on the bounce and three good victories as well. Obviously, that loss to Carlisle just before it, but they've shown they're able to pick up points. They're now equal on points with Oxford in second. Obviously, they are still, you know, what, six points behind Portsmouth, but their aim here isn't necessarily getting the title. Their aim here is just to get into that top two. And the fact that we were all tipping Portsmouth, Bolton and Derby, and the fact that two of them are picking up points at the minute and one of them isn't it's kind of hard to not predict Bolton get into the top two at this rate and for Charlton Athletic that is their second consecutive defeat they lost to Lincoln in midweek Charlie a big smile in your face there they lost 3-1 <laughs> I know Gary Hudson of course the founder of the real EFL was absolutely delighted but don't discuss Lincoln in that game. Charlie how did you think Charlton Athletic played could you see this defeat to Bolton coming uh, sort of, yes. I felt that against us, they had one plan. When that one plan wasn't working, they didn't really have a plan B. And to be honest, that's a that's a trait that has been given to Michael Appleton by not just Lincoln fans, but also Blackpool fans as well. So I think they've got the players to be able to get in to the playoffs. And I think they've got a manager that is going to be able to get them there, but they're going to have to show some kind of adaptability, something that they're not really showing at the minute. Away days are great especially when your striker bag's a last-minute winner. But there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
This podcast is sponsored by the wonderful people over at NordVPN. The 2023-24 campaign is set to draw to a close, but the football never truly stops. With the Olympics, Euro 2024 and the new season set to commence in no time, make sure you don't miss any of the action wherever you may be in the world by downloading NordVPN. For just the price of one cup of coffee per month, NordVPN allows you to watch your favourite teams, players, shows and movies anywhere in the world, even if they aren't available in your region, simply by switching the location on your device to one which is showing the content. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard, protecting your personal data and other sensitive information such as credit cards and passwords from falling into the wrong hands, which is always a worry when you travel abroad. And with just one subscription to NordVPN, you can use this service across six different devices, which is incredibly handy if you're traveling with your family and or loved ones. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash realefl. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So now... Back to the podcast. We will move on, though, to a side I just mentioned a moment ago, and that is Derby County, because they <laughs> they are struggling. Keelan, I'll, I'll, I'll throw to you on this. Steve, well, firstly, actually, I'll start Stevenage with their first win in, in, I think it was four matches or three. They went on a three-game winless run, and they finally picked up a victory, and it was an, a fantastic win for them against Derby County. Two unbelievable free kicks, by the way, in that game. But... I want to talk about Derby County because there was a lot of restlessness after that game yesterday from supporters and maybe rightly so, as I, as I said a few minutes ago, we predicted Derby County to be one of the, I think we predicted them in the top two to go up like in, in the automatic uh, promotion places, but they're currently sitting ninth and they've won one game in four with that squad. And I just want to, every time I watch Derby, I always think of, you know, I know it's a bit of a cliche, but the, the 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 definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And sometimes I watch Derby County, and I feel like they're just doing the same thing over and over again, and getting the same results. Like you, I know Paul Warren's sides have always relied on wing backs and crosses, and like I mean, their most dangerous player is probably Callum Maynard Lang, and I don't even think he's playing that well at the moment. And it's just it's it's not going right. The fans are. You know, I, th- I think that game especially turned a lot of fans off, Paul Warren. What did you make of Derby County's performance yesterday? And also, where do you think they go from here with regards to Paul Warren? Yeah, and no, I think, and unfortunately for, for Paul Warren, when you look at the EFL yesterday, Gareth Ainsworth lost his job and um, Paul Hurst lost his job. And if you were Warren, you would be fearing for your job. I think afterwards he was bemoaning that he can't do a lot more with what he's got. And a lot of the time, Derby are are very wasteful and they get a lot of opportunities, but they can't, you know, stick the ball in, in the back of the net. And, you know, as you say, I think a lot of it is doing the same thing over and over again, putting a cross into the box and hoping and, and praying that someone gets on it or, you know, they get a goal. And, and they, they were found out against, you know, Stevenage team. They, in the end, probably won quite convincingly. I know it got, you know, a little bit nervy, but then Kane Hemmings, you know, eases those relative nerves late on and, you know, Stevenage are holding on to that sixth spot at the moment, a sixth spot that, that Derby at this moment in time would would absolutely mm. love. But as you say, they're they're ninth and they are really they're really faltering at the moment. And I think, you know, if Warren can hold on to his job between now and I think they're playing Northampton on Tuesday. Northampton Town on Tuesday, correct. At home though. Yeah, and they they've not exactly setting the world alight on their own on their own patch either at Pride Park. I know they you know they beat mm. Exeter two nil recently, but extra really experienced the drop-off in form as well and I think 
if they don't get a positive result against Northampton, he's he's on he's on extremely thin ice at the moment. But if he doesn't beat Northampton, yeah, I think he could be waving goodbye to to his job with the Rams because I think there's a different level of expectation at Derby that he didn't ever really experience at Rotherham. Obviously, Rotherham would love to get into the championship, but there's not that expectation, I don't think. Yeah, and I think with a team like Derby, the the expectation and the pressure can sometimes work against you. I think from the past, teams like Preston really struggled to get out of League One. They were in it for a number of years. Portsmouth as well have really struggled to get out of League One, minus how they're doing this season so far. So I think sometimes that expectation works against you. And Paul Warren's now experiencing that. As you say, there's a lot of restless fans at Derby. Yeah, and I mean, just to read out some stats, they had 62% of the ball yesterday, which was to be expected, but they then had 13 shots from that compared to Stevenage's 11. But the XG was 1.89 to Stevenage and 0.77 to Derby, and Stevenage's goals as well were such low XG because they were unbelievable goals, but on the balance of play, Stevenage had far better chances with less shots, meaning the quality of Derby County's chances were really poor, and that's because Crosses into the box, people have this misconception, are brilliant goals. They're not. Crosses into the box have such a low percentage chance of scoring because of the number of factors it takes for the goal to go in. The flight of the ball, the position of the centre-forward, the position of the centre-half, the you know the speed of the ball, the where you head it, the goalkeeper, everything. They're so low percentage. That's why, and I understand, obviously, I'm not going to compare Paul Warner, Derby County with, with Man City, but it's the reason why top sides go for those kind of cutbacks near the edge of the box because you have a, a much higher chance of scoring as opposed to just whipping it in, you know, somewhere in the box and hoping your centre forward gets his head in it. Really, really disappointing stuff by Derby County yet again. And as Caden alluded to, they play Northampton Town at home on Tuesday and Paul Warren has to win that game. And I shouldn't say Paul, Derby County have to win that game because the gap between Derby and Stevenage now is five points, although Derby do have two games in hand because Stevenage have played more games than anyone else this season. Charlie, a team that are on a difficult run of form at the moment, just a couple of places above uh, Stevenage and Derby County, is Oxford United. No wins in three games now. They were flying at one stage. And then yesterday, they came away. Oh, I think this podcast might be going out on a Monday, so I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking the fourth wall there, but we're recording on a Sunday. Oxford United 2, Wickham Wanderers 2. Talk to you about this one because do you think. Oxford United might feel a little hard done by in terms of the, the balance of play and the shots and the chances they had. Well, yeah. Look, this when we review a game like this, there's obviously one major talking point, and that's the man in the middle. But what mm-hmm. we're gonna do, what I would just love to talk about the football, first of all, the actual football that was being played, because Oxford plays some really, really good football. And the fact that they've not picked up like I said, they've not picked up a win in the mm-hmm. past three. They've, they've had two draws, one loss. I, I still think they're in a really, really good position because they're able to play some really nice football, create some really, really nice chances. And that's the sorts of thing, sort of thing that in this league is going to get you lots of results. All you have to do is look at some of the other teams that are in the top six, those that play some really nice football. Uh, yeah, I think Oxford fans will definitely feel really hard done by. The, like I say, the first goal, re- beautiful bit of play. Then... Mm. Wickham's first. So it was a penalty. 
as were both of Wickham's goals and uh, as was the equaliser from Oxford in the final minute. The first penalty, it was it was McGuane, I think it was, that ended up going, slipping over in the middle of the area. He had his arm out just to stop his fall and the ball rolled into his arm. Now, in the rules, penalty, it hit his arm and it stopped it from going to the attacker that was stood right behind him. So I understand wholeheartedly why Stem Stockbridge gave a penalty. But my God, you've got to feel bad for the guy. It's so, so unfortunate. I feel really, really bad for him. Um but again, I don't really think there can be that much of an argument. Who celebrated then, the penalty, by the way? I, for, I forgot to write it down, but somebody celebrated the penalty as if it was a 95th minute Champions League winner for Wickham <laughs> when they when they got the penalty. I couldn't believe I, I, I should have wrote the, I should have written the name down. I can't remember it now, but go back and watch the highlights of that game. The, I yeah. have never seen a penalty celebration like this. He is punching that air. Unbelievable stuff. I didn't. I didn't see that. Then again, I was. I was constantly rewinding, thinking, "Huh?" When I saw it, so I wasn't. I wasn't really uh, looking at the celebration, but I should have done. Um, then Wickham had another penalty. Uh, again, took it away. Now that one can definitely be contested. That one is a very controversial penalty, as far as I'm concerned. The ball, the the attacker is running at the goalkeeper. Well sort of slightly away from the goal, running towards the goalkeeper, has knocked the ball past it. The ball's effectively gone out of play. There was no chance he was catching up with it. Uh, then goes over on what, on the eye follow camera, the, the highlights camera, you know, it looks like it's the t- maybe a tiniest little bit of contact. He goes over and the referee gives a penalty. I'm a little bit unsure hmm. on that one, but, you know... <sighs> well, Liam Manning was pretty sure it wasn't because he was, well, he, was yes. giving us, he was giving us marching orders pretty soon after it and I don't actually know the rules on managerial sending offs. Is he not allowed managing the next game now? Is well, I'm not, yeah, because I'm not 100% sure. So he, I'm assuming he won't be able to won't be able to be on the touchline for at least a match. I'm not quite sure how long the suspension will end up being. Obviously, mm-hmm. that will probably depend on what he actually ended up saying. Um, sure. But I, when I was when I was on the pod last time, uh, the start of the month, it was actually when Oxford played Bristol Rovers, and there was a few red cards in that game. Uh, and a couple of them were for things like dissent and these sorts of things. And we were having the conversation about the new rules. And I, I made the same comment then. I'm going to make it again now, but this time it's about the manager. They know the rules. I get that emotions are running high. I understand that. We have all, as fans, shouted a certain thing at a referee at some point when we stood in the stands. We all do. We all get frustrated when a decision doesn't go our way. Or we'll try calling for something that we blatantly know shouldn't be, for example, a penalty. But we'll still call for it just on the hope that a referee will give us it. It happens. But as a manager or a player, you've got to have that level of professionalism to stop yourself from going above and beyond and too far and getting yourself a red card because that's now just silly and it's going to be interesting how that impacts upon them in the next game. And then 96th minute, Wickham 2-1 up, but not for long because player goes down with what looked like the tiniest of contact. But again, it was contact like he stepped on his foot. Player's obviously going to go down in that scenario just inside the penalty area. Um, and, And yeah, the pen was tucked away really nicely. Again, unfortunately, it's a game where we're talking about the refs rather than the players, but I don't think we can take away from the fact that Oxford, again, play some really nice football um, and I, I definitely see them being up there within the top four or five by the end of the season. And they do, I believe, face Lincoln City next on Tuesday. I just want to read out some stats before we move on. 
Wigan Wanderers registered next year of 1.9. Now, people don't know, a penalty is worth 0.77. So across the two penalties, that's 1.44 XG. So of the 1.9 XG, only 0.46 came from open play. Oxford United's came to 2.54. So if you compare the both of them, if you're an XG fan, Oxford United had a 2. Point, uh, sorry, about a 1.8. Yeah, 1.8 XG to from open play to Wickham Wanderers 0.46. I would have felt incredibly hard done by if I was an Oxford United mm. player, coach, or a fan yesterday. But it was a good result, I suppose, in the end by Wickham Wanderers to get out of there, even with a point, although they would have been disappointed with giving away a last-minute penalty. Moving on, though, to a team that certainly will be disappointed when we look at the stats, Barnsley 2, Fleetwood Town 2. Now, Fleetwood Town are on a decent run of form at the moment. I believe they have, well, I say decent, they picked up four points from six games, but they've two wins in the last five and a draw, which for a team that were, I think they were second bottom at one stage. I mean, it's 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 decent, I suppose, to say the least. One thing I do want to say is I watched the game last week. I watched all of it between, uh, I think, Fleetwood Town and Lincoln City. Junior Quaterno was, in that first half, I thought was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. What player, what, what did you make him, he was. He looks good. And again, yesterday, I know. He did, so he scored a brace yesterday, won the third minute, won the 34th. That is his fourth goal of the season for the former Waterford player in, in, in Irish football. Mm-hmm. He looks good. He really does. And I, I do believe he went off injured yesterday as well. So that's yeah. going to be a massive shame for Fleetwood Town mm-hmm. and, and their fans. Because, yeah, so, like I say, saw him last week against Lincoln. And God, what a... He's the sort of player that everybody wants in their team. You just, he can create something out of very little. He can run, he can, he's got some immense skills and flair on the ball. He's, he's the sort of player that can fetch a lot of money in the transfer market. Yeah, absolutely unbelievable. He scored two goals, Jesse, as you said, he did go off injured his fourth of the season. Barnsley, they were unbeaten in five games. They beat Shrewsbury Town 3 0, I believe, on. Tuesday next up for them is Horsham in the FA Cup. Fleetwood stays 22nd. Uh, they probably will be disappointed to concede such a late goal from 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 Corey O'Keefe, but on the balance of play, I think Barnsley kind of deserved at least the point. They probably deserve the win again. I, I know XG can be a bit misleading on, in isolation, but it, it's important to note that throughout the game, Barnsley had a 3.17 XG to Fleetwood Town 0.84, which is just wild, and it, the game ended too well. So while Fleetwood Town will be really disappointed to concede such a late goal, a point's not a bad result against Barnsley because Barnsley had 25 shots in that game and they absolutely battered the Fleetwood Town goal. So Barnsley would probably be happy to come away with a point, although maybe in hindsight a bit disappointed not to win the game. But Fleetwood Town certainly should be happy, although again, as I said, they will be a little bit disappointed. They face Reading, or sorry, they faced Reading on Tuesday. They won 2-1. But next up for them is Black on Wednesday, which will be a really, really tricky fixture. Keelan, I'll throw to you though on a team who are now on a three-game winning streak, I believe, and not just a three-game winning streak. They've won all of their games 2-0. Wigan Athletic 2, Shrewsbury Town 0. Wigan Athletic are now out of the relegation zone. They're up to 19th. What a run of form they've been on. But what did you make of the game and the performance? Yeah, no, I was going to allude to that. It's it's three wins in a row and yeah, all by a 2-0 scoreline. It's it's interesting. And I think 
you know, first and foremost, I think Sean Maloney at, at Wigan, I think the job he's doing is going under the radar a little bit and quite understated because I think is it, it's seven wins, one draw and, and six in the league. It's an yep. impressive record for a team that have had a lot of off-field issues. And, you know, a team last season when he came in, in the championship, didn't do very well. They could have easily have, have pulled the plug on him, but they, they kept by him and he's he's doing really well this season. And it, you know, was a dominant display by Wigan against a Shrewsbury team. You thought they might have turned a corner when they beat, you know, Derby 1-0 recently, but Wigan swept them aside, really. And I think Humphreys was a was a big performer for them in this one, for, for, the, for the Latics. You know, I think that's his fifth of the season now, just behind Charlie Wyke in the, in the top scorers. Fuller Latics and and Lang scored as well, who notched up his second of the season. So it was a really impressive display by Wigan and a sign of a team that are, you know, clearly confident, you know, keeping three clean sheets in a row's, you know, very impressive. And, you know, long mm-hmm. may it continue for I know Adam was meant to be on on this podcast today, but long may it continue for him. He must be absolutely buzzing at the moment. I just want to say as well, you mentioned Sean Maloney and the job he's done. Wigan Athletic have picked up 22 points this season. They had an eight-point deduction, those that are now down to 14. But if you want to know how good of a job he's done, they would be above Derby County in the table if that points deduction didn't happen. That's how good of a job he's done. Uh, Humphrey's goal yesterday, by the way, was unbelievable. And there was also, I think it was Humphrey's shot in the fourth half. And, and Shrewsbury's goalkeeper made probably the most powerful save I've ever seen. I think the ball travelled about 20 yards from when he bombed it. Unbelievable. I, couldn't, I actually couldn't believe what I was watching. Um, Shrewsbury Town, though, have not won a single game since I've hosted this podcast. They only ever win when Matt's on. So every <laughs> every every two weeks, myself and Matt rotate, and Shrewsbury Town don't win when I'm on. So Shrewsbury Town fans, next week you're picking up three points. Don't worry about it. And and two weeks, I'm, I'm sorry about you, but... Really disappointing again with Shrewsbury Town. They're on a two-game loss. or a two, They haven't won in two games. They lost that last game as well against uh, Barnsley on Tuesday. Next up for them is Colchester at home in the FA Cup. And it's uh, Charlton Athletic at home for Wigan in League One. But we will move on to Exeter 1, Lincoln City 1. Charlie, I'll throw to you on this. You were at the game. But before I do, I just want to say I was at Talca Park on Friday to watch Shelbourne beat UCD 3-2 and Jack Moylan scored a hat-trick in his final home game for Shelbourne, to which an obscene amount of fans ran on the pitch, even even grown men, which was bizarre to watch, but uh, an obscene amount of fans ran on the pitch, lifted him up, serenaded him as he came off the pitch, and Damien Duff gave him a big, nice kiss in his post-match interview. What a player he's been for Shelbourne this season. He's a joint top goal scorer in the league of and he's on his way to Lincoln. Exeter won Lincoln City won. Exeter were on a seven-game losing streak, I believe. Uh, six in League One, one in, or seven in all competitions. They finally ended the rock by picking up a, a point with a late goal from Ryan Trevitt, who's on loan from Brentford. What did you make of the performance from Lincoln? Well, like you say, this was a game that we were winning up until the 80th minute. Um and then obviously ended mm-hmm. in a draw. So I'd probably prefer if we could just talk about Jack Moylan for the next 10 minutes. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> look, it was it, it was a weird one. So the first half, Lincoln were brilliant again. I thought that we created some really good chances early on. Uh, we were nice and robust in defence. Exactly the sort of thing that, was, that we showed against Charlton in midweek and also against Fleetwood in the first half last week. 
Then the second half came around, and unfortunately, exactly like it was with Fleetwood, we, we sort of invited a bit more pressure on ourselves. Exeter created some really good chances. Um, in fact, even within the last couple of minutes of the first half as well, that was the case. Lucas Jensen deserves a lot of praise in goal for Lincoln. Um, he made some really, really nice saves. And I think some of our defenders as well, you know, Alex Mitchell, I think, got man of the match for a lot of uh, from a lot of our fans mm. yesterday. A really, really good centre-half. Uh, so, Look, for, for us, there, some people came away slightly unhappy. Some people were able to take a step back and see the bigger picture. I, I was very much one of them. It's third game in a row where, obviously, we've got Tom Shaw in his caretaker manager. We are unbeaten in that, seven points from nine. We've had a, a win at Fleetwood, uh, a win at home, where, by, for the record, we, as a team, ran nine kilometres more than we have done in our in our best game in terms of running stats all season so you know we effectively had an extra player on the pitch on Tuesday night we were running that much so then going down to Exeter having a few tired legs in the last sort of 20 minutes I think it's totally excusable if I'm honest last week we had a really good first half and we held on to get the 1-0 win this week we had a really good first half and we didn't hold on to get the 1-0 win but we got a one all draw instead I'm happy enough with it I think the performance was solid from Lincoln I think huge credit for Exeter because you know the run that they're on, sometimes, you know, as we all know from supporting clubs in the AFL or, or in or in Ireland, you know, you're, you're on a bit of a bad run. You go one goal down, suddenly the, the levels can just drop, can't they? And they, you know, the team just stops showing any kind of passion or desire. But that wasn't Exeter at all. They continued to sort of hit us with a barrage of chances, especially at the end of the first half. They had a few really good chances. Um, which I've got to be honest, I didn't see until I watched the highlights this morning because, you know, the pint cube was going to be too long at halftime. Uh, so I went a little bit early. Um, and then in the second half as well, they just had an absolute barrage of chances. So it was great defending from us, great determination from them. And I've got to give huge credit to Dimitri Mitchell. What a player Exeter have with him. He was absolutely outstanding yesterday. He was their chief creator. You know, he, he got the assist for the goal, but he was their chief creator in, in, in all of their attacks, really. Um, so I was really impressed with them, considering the run that they'd been on. I thought it'd be a little bit easier playing against them yesterday. I've got to be honest, I predicted us to win 2-0 quite comfortably, and that wasn't the case at all. Um, so huge credit to them, but again, huge credit to Lincoln for being able to keep this little bit of an unbeaten run going under a caretaker manager. And considering all the facts, I was really pleased with the draw. And Demetri Mitchell is probably the most outspoken professional footballer I've ever seen on social media. So if you want some yeah. fun reading, go on to his Twitter page. It's quite exciting. Uh, he is an excellent player, though. I do agree with you. Exeter City, I believe, before the Force International break, were sitting second in the league. And they have now dropped down to 17th. They have been on a dreadful, dreadful run of form. But thankfully, they stopped the rot with a point yesterday. Lincoln City, meanwhile, failed to go above Blackpool with a game in hand. Uh, after the late goal from Ryan Trebid. We will move on, though, to Port Vale 1, Cheltenham Town 2. The Battle of Daryl Clark? No, is that? That's not, I can't say that really, can I? But Daryl Clark was back at his old club. Andy Crosby, of course, used to be his assistant manager at Port Vale at Valiant Park. He, he was dismissed towards the back end of last season. Andy Crosby took over as caretaker manager, got the permanent job, and Daryl Clark was out of work ever since. But then, he took over Cheltenham Town, who I don't think had scored a goal in something like 11 or 12 matches. And they've now won two out of three games. Both wins this season have come under Daryl Clark. They're looking quite good. The game was a, a, little, 
a little scrappy yesterday. I don't want to be too disrespectful to both sides. It was a bit of a scrappy game, and both sides are in the bottom half of the table, and you can kind of maybe see why. Alfie Devine scored. He opened the scoring for Port Vale with a great, great little finish. Nice and acrobatic at the back post as well, I believe, from set piece before. Sean Long's brace, one, one goal in the 42nd minute and the second in the 66th, which was, I believe, took it, I believe the second took a deflection, looped over the goalkeeper and, 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 and went in. It was a great win for Cheltenham Town. I mean, ultimately, they don't really care how <laughs> performances at this at this day they need to get you know points on the board. And that win yesterday put them above Reading. And I know I said earlier Reading had a point deduction, a four point deduction at the start of the season, but a really, really big win for Cheltenham Town. And I'm sure it was quite sweet as well for Daryl Clark to come away from Valium Park with all three points. Uh, they've picked up seven points from 12 so far, which is just great for a team that want to get out of that relegation zone and they're going to have to fight because they're six points behind Northampton Town, who are 20 at the moment, so they're really going to have to scrape our results here. But seven points from 12 is really, really good. It was against Blackpool, but it was, it was a, a narrow loss, we'll say, uh, just by a goal against Neil Crishley's side. They face AFC Wimbledon away next in the FA Cup. For Port Vale, though, who... I don't. I mean, I know if a Portvale fan listen to this podcast, every time I'm on, I bring up the opening day of the season, and I don't mean to, but I have to, because they lost so heavily against Barnsley at Oakwell, and then went on this just unbelievable run of form, and they rocketed up to like second and or, or third or second. They were unbelievable, and now they've lost four of their last five. They're down to sixteenth in the table. They are level on points though with Charlton Athletic. But They've they've dropped down sixteenth already in the or sixteenth in the table already. They face Mansfield Town next in the EFL Cup away, which is going to be a I suppose a nice a nice I suppose release from the from League One for now in the EFL Cup. And they are favourites. What are they favourites? I mean Mansfield Mansfield Town are doing pretty well this season. Actually, I'll turn to you on Keaton. Who do you think are favourites in that tie? Because I'm I don't think I actually can can answer that between between Mansfield and 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 Port Vale. Yeah, I think Mansfield, uh, I know League Two is not our speciality, but Mansfield are unbeaten in League Two. Yeah. Doing really well. They beat Notts County away recently. And mm-hmm. yeah, no, I think if you look at that 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 game, uh, after that defeat yesterday, a lot of Port Vale fans were, you know, calling, they've gone a bit cold on Andy Crosby and even calling for his head. So I think for that one, you would, I know there's a league between them, but Mansfield at home, still unbeaten in all competitions. Obviously, you know, I don't want to mention it, but they they're not posh out of the competition, so I'd probably register them register them as as slight favourites against Vale. Hmm. Well, I'll stick with you, Keel, and we'll move on to the penultimate game of this uh, game week. And I've properly gone for a, a match of day running order here, where we put the possibly the most the most dull games uh, last. So, Charlie, unfortunately, you were obviously left with the Bourne Albion game. So, I'm very sorry for when I come to you on that. It was. An absolute snooze fest. I mean, I don't want to be disrespectful to the two teams, but my God. Anyway, Keenan, I'll come to you on Cambridge United 1, Carlisle United nil. It was, I mean, I suppose maybe Cambridge United deserves to win. Carlisle United's disciplinary record this season, this season isn't great. And again yesterday, two red cards. And when Alfie McCallum was sent off, the reaction from Paul Simpson was absolutely wonderful to watch. He was in disbelief. Firstly, I'll ask you about the red cards. Do you think they were both red cards? Um, yeah, I think Paul Simpson was probably more 
you know, angry about the way the, the, that they played and and mm. lost the game. But I, I, I do think both were probably red cards. What, what do you think, Adam? I thought the... Yeah, I thought the second definitely was. I'm sorry. It, it yeah. just reminded me of, of uh, Nigel the Young, Chabi Alonso, 2010 World Cup final. You know, it was... I do believe that was a red card. His, yeah, his boot, his boot was incredibly high and he's showing studs and he kicks him in the chest. The camera angle isn't wonderful on it, but from the angle we have to work with, it did look like a red card. The force, the force, and though, do you think the force one was the most contentious? Do you think that was a red, or do you think it was a 50 50? I thought mm, it's a tricky one. Like, it was, was it his second yellow, wasn't it? And he kind of pulled them yeah, back. Yeah. yeah, I just think uh, situations like that, you play the advantage, but I suppose because he was already on a yellow, he has to pull it back and give a red. It was silly, though. I mean, there was the defenders back covering. I don't know why he pulls yeah. them. I don't know why. He pulls him there. I mean, like you're on a second yellow. You have players covering, and he's grabbing his jersey. So I suppose I can't, can't really argue it was a red card. But ultimately, the, the the goal was scored when it was nil all, or when I'm sorry, when it was eleven v eleven. Anyway, George Thomas he scored in the seventy third minute, and I suppose the rest of history it was really it was it was a really dull game. Carlisle United beat Borton Albion. Actually, they ended Borton Albion's really good run of form. Uh, they were at home on Tuesday. They won two one. They faced Leiden Orient next in the FA Cup. But I suppose the biggest takeaway from the game is Keelan. They're in the relegation zone now. Do you think they can? Do you think they have enough to survive? Um, well, based on when they um, they played posh, they they looked like the sort of team that you know set up to counter attack you, defend really well and solidly. And they they only lost one nil away at Cambridge. I think the disappointment from a Carlisle perspective is. But that was the first win in eight for Mark Bonner, who was starting mm-hmm. to feel the pressure a bit. I think the real frustration from a Carlisle perspective is, obviously, they beat Burton on Tuesday night, and then they lose this game. They beat Bolton away, and then they pick up a loss. There just seems to not be any balance to their results. Yeah. And it seems to be they get one really positive result, and then they become unstuck in the next game and lose mm-hmm. it. And I think it's, I think it's a slight inexperience of the division from the Cumbrians. And, you know, when you see that at the final whistle with Paul Simpson absolutely fuming with the McCalman red card, it's probably a frustration as well that we, we, we play well against Burton and then, you know, George Thomas's header ended up being a decider. But from a Cambridge perspective, you know, it's two clean sheets in a row now, four points from their last two after a back-to-the-wall performance at the Abbey versus Portsmouth. Yeah. And then beat Carlisle it eases some pressure on Mark Bonner because I know Mark Bonner last season had a really torrid run of form and he was probably fearing the worst. But to get that win, is it would be a confidence booster for him. But for Paul Simpson, he just needs to find a consistent run of form for his Carlisle team. Yeah. Because, you know, Wiggins, you know, winning three in a row, you know, it's probably come at the worst possible time for Carlisle mm-hmm. if they drop into the, into the, the fearful relegation spots. And I mean, from 16 games this season, they've lost eight. So every second game they're losing, as you said, so inconsistent. It's, it's either draw, loss, win, loss, draw, loss, win, loss. It's really, really inconsistent and not the type of, of form you really want to be on, especially, as you said, Wigan Athletic are now on a three-game winning streak and they're out of the relegation zone. And, but it's, I suppose it might be between Carlisle, Northampton and, and Shrewsbury in a couple of weeks. They, I, I'd imagine Wigan can crack on and, and kind of move up the table. But the um, the the... the 
the draw for Cambridge United, sorry, on Tuesday was really good. As you said, back to the wall, got a, got a goal to draw against Portsmouth, which is a fantastic result. But they followed up then with a win, and that ended an eight-game winless run. So, it's, as you said, Mark Bonner will be absolutely delighted with that. But, Charlie, on to you for the most exciting game of the game week. It's Borton Albion nil, Leighton Orient nil, and this... I mean, even the even the high, the team that put the highlights together struggled with this one. There was maybe a chance in the first half, I think, where the ball ran astray from a uh, player at Wall. He took a heavy touch with that. It was a couple of pot shots. I mean, do you think Borton Albion maybe could have could have scraped the win? They had a couple. I think there was a. Again, I don't remember who took the, the opportunity. I need to write names down. Um, it was a it was a brilliant chance in the second half, I believe, and he skied it over the bar. What did you make of the? The game overall, and do you think goal a goalless draw was a fair result, or could could the Brewers have clinched it? I actually think a draw was a fair result, and I actually think Leighton Orient, if any team was going to clinch it, I thought that they could have potentially got a result yesterday. I think um, it's it's Max Croker, isn't it, in goal for Burton? I thought he had a really really good game. He made he made four good saves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's uh, he made four saves, and I thought they. Were, they were all really, really good. And like you say, there was that early chance for Leighton Orient in the first half. I think it was Theo Archibald. Now, if anybody's listening and was at the game or whatever, please correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe it was Theo Archibald running through that just kicked it a little bit too far in front of him with his first touch. And obviously, yeah, it was able to be dealt with by the keeper, which was a bit of a shame. I thought Ethan Galbraith in midfield for Leighton Orient, I mm. thought he had a couple of really good opportunities as well to score. Yep. He had some really nice shots. He dragged one just wide, and I think he maybe could have done better with and got it on target. But like I said, I think a draw is actually a really fair result. Um, you know, when when you gave it, when, when we went through the running order, uh, sort of in the group chat, you I saw that I had a nil-nil draw. I'm like, oh, oh, thanks. Do you, do you not like me, Adam? But actually, I... Uh, it's usually I, me to take them games, so I actually <laughs> used the opportunity to throw it on someone else this time. I was happy. Oh, oh thank, thanks. Yeah. No, I, uh, I, actually, I actually didn't mind didn't mind sort of watching this one back because I, I rather enjoyed it. Like I say, it was a nil-nil draw, but there was a few couple of opportunities, but nothing really that major. I think a draw very fair. Goal was draw probably also very fair. And I think... Both teams are probably quite happy. I think some Burton fans might have wanted to pick up a result at home against Leighton yeah. Orient, but a draw is still very fair. It gives Leighton Orient their third draw in a row. They're now five unbeaten. Since losing their first three matches in the league, they've only lost two in the next twelve. You know, so yeah. they're on a they are on a really really good run. And I think mid table. I was really impressed with them when I went down there when Lincoln and saw them. Obviously, that, that match didn't finish and the, and the game isn't being counted. But I was still really impressed with their performance. So I think that they're going to be a team that are able to sit comfortably in mid-table this season. Burton as well, they're on a really good sort of run before losing last week. Um, so actually a draw for them, it probably just stops any potential rot that they could have sort of fallen into. So I think they can be really, really happy with getting the draw. Um, obviously, like I said, they'd have preferred the win. But both sides sitting in mid-table is probably about right in terms of their performances across the whole season. And now that we're, what, 16 matches in for some teams, mm-hmm. we start to see the table um, table take shape. And these two, I think, are settled in, in a sort of position that they're going to be in come April. I have to say, fair play to Borton Albion, though, as well, because they've only lost once in the last 10 games. And surprisingly, that was to Carlisle United uh, the other day. There, yeah, one loss in 10 games. And another stat I want to mention, this was the first ever meeting between these two sides, apparently, which is, I thought was... Really? 
Yeah, that kind of blew me away as well. That was according to the BBC, so I'm going to say it was true and hope for the best. Um, yeah, they said it was the first ever meeting between two sides, which actually took me aback a little bit. Um, <laughs> next up, though, for Burton Albion is away from home against Port Vale in the FA Cup. And for Leighton Orient, uh, they drew, or sorry, they're there, yeah, five games on beaten run, three straight draws. They face Carroll United next in the FA Cup. On the balance of XG, there was 0.83 to Bourne, 0.27 to Leighton Orient. But again, like Bourne had more shots, so that's why it's a flight. But that doesn't mean the chances were good, it just means they had more shots, and hence the XG was higher. Maybe, as as, as Charlie said, a goalless draw would have been a fair result. But that's a good way to wrap up the podcast. Keelan, what are your plans for the week? Uh, just um, just more writing shifts, really. Writing for a new football writing website. So I think I've got a tomorrow off and then I've got a few. Yeah, not to, not to obviously the Real EFL is a good writing website as well. But uh, yeah, so I think I've got three shifts in a row next week. And then, yeah, I've got, I've, I'm lost wherever else I'm going. <laughs> Can't be that. Halloween? What, sorry? Halloween? No, Halloween. Halloween. God, how have I forgotten it's Halloween? (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Charlie? What are your plans for the week? Are you doing anything for Halloween? Well, I I am actually at Lincoln versus Oxford, uh, so hopefully that isn't a spooky night. Um, And then I think, (laughs) I I know that was absolutely terrible. Um, But then I'm. That was more than my. It was, that was that was dreadful. That was that was. Um, but I'm I'm at, I'm at university as well, so I'll be getting the last train back from Lincoln back to Nottingham on um, Tuesday night, and then potentially going to a house party at about half past midnight that night. Um, and then I've got a day at the races on Wednesday, and then I'm up in Manchester doing some talk on um, doing a talk on on sort of my experiences watching going and watching football as well. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so yeah. A nice busy week for me this week. Very nice. It's more busy. It's, it's a far better week than I'm going to have. I'm just going to probably, I'm going to be the Grinch of Halloween. I usually just turn all the lights off, sit in my room and grunt at the kids going and, by. And, 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 and eat, eat the sweets that you bought man. for them. <laughs> yeah, I put them in the little bag and then Oh, the, the kids didn't come and then I eat them all. Oh, I love it. Absolutely brilliant. It's my favourite day. Uh, thank you both for coming on the podcast. And to everyone listening at home, please make sure to drop us a five-star rating if you enjoyed the podcast. It would mean the world to us. Tune in next Sunday once more as we dissect all the action from the FA Cup, I believe, for your wonderful ears. Thank you all for listening and goodbye for now. the 90th minute and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow you've got your McNugget share box on the go and you know what your mates already got booked for double dipping but then late on you steal in grab the last nugget and snatch all three points perfect why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app Are you in at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.